Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Coming up next from the grassy knoll, a terrifying look into the Orwellian world of brainwashing, disinformation, and ultimately control over you. Set itself up as a one world government. 
Now, going on quickly, uh, the, the role of the Rothschilds. Now, that's a banking house that they, well, first of all, Nathan Meyer, the Rothschild, boasted that the man that controls Britain's money controls the British Empire, and I control British money. And that was, he made that statement back in the 19th century. It was uh, surmised, if you will, that as of 1900, the Rothschild banking houses uh, owned half of the world's money supply. And that also later on we'll talk about how we got tied into them and how the Rothschilds trapped our money through uh, the 16th Amendment, which brought us the income tax, which we somehow lived very well without you know, prior to that, and also the Federal Reserve Act, which created the U.S. Federal Reserve, which is neither U.S. federal and has no reserves. But moving on. Uh, in 1814, as we said at the Congress of Vienna, the Rothschilds wanted to push through this idea of a one-world government. The Tsar of Russia said, no way, it fell apart. The Rothschilds vowed that they would one day avenge this defeat, and being a patient lot, they waited until 1917 to exact their revenge by funding, with financial help from the Rockefellers, the Russian Revolution, in which the Romanovs, which was the Tsar's family, were supposedly wiped out. And another thing is, is that the figure that was given by, I believe, uh, a descendant of Jacob Schiff, who was also a cohort of Rockefeller and, and uh, the Rothschilds, was that they gave uh, Lenin $20 million in gold to go ahead and foment the Russian Revolution. How um, did that gold, you think, made it to the revolution? Well, I, th- I think it made it there. I don't know that it got to the right hand. Yeah, yeah. And there's a great story about how uh, Lenin and Stalin got in there and through the help of uh, the, the nation of Switzerland and also um, the policia in Germany, which also were uh, uh, had communist leanings. That's how they, they got in by rail. That's how it happened. But at any rate, um, we're, going, we're fast forwarding to... So you're saying that the communist revolution was actually a, a, a capital plan? Sure, of course it is. I mean, who, a lot of people have trouble with that, uh, you know. But the reality is that it takes money to fight money, and uh, I won't quote who said that, but you can probably guess. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, the reality is that uh, you know, there, there, if you looked at the old Soviet empire, and I say old meaning in the last thirty years, there were still people at the top that were living nicely, that had uh, nice, they ate off nice plates and had everything they needed and plenty of good food to eat, electric fans and things like that. And uh, if this was a pure communist environment that they expected the serfs to live under, uh, they themselves, you know, you follow where I'm going, that isn't something that's either. You know, to make communism appealing, and Trotsky made a point that you always have to go after the younger generation, uh, because the politics of the old have gotten them weary. This goes back to when they were paying attention. I don't even know if there's any kind of appetite at all on, on the young nowadays for um, politics. But but apparently, uh, Dr. Swin, as you and I well know, that there's a, a decent communist element that's kind of uh, rearing its head both in academia and also in... Uh, here locally. And here locally. And we'll touch upon that, too, because it's, it's coming to a, a, you know, a neighborhood near you. Um, but it was a, really, it was a great moment. If you remember the movie Reds, um, based on the life of, and the name is going to escape me, John Reed. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. An American journalist who was a communist. They do. That's right. And uh, not that it matters, but I believe he might be buried there as well. Yeah. Um, if you remember the movie Reds, and even if you don't, Warren Beatty played the part of John Reed, and, and uh, John Reed is back in the United States to give this um, dissertation on what he witnessed in Russia to a ba- to a whole uh, banquet hall of financiers and a uh, banking elite. And they asked him, uh, tell us what the war about is about over there, Mr. Reed. And he got up and just said one word. Do you remember what that was, Dr. Swain? No. Profits. And he sat back down to a, a stunned audience. Uh, but going ahead, um, here's the deal. Um, the Romanovs were wiped out. It is a great, great mystery that Tsar Nicholas and his uh, progeny were also killed. In fact, the whole family was wiped out in some basement in a house in uh, Ekaterinburg, Siberia. Um, there, there are people who claim and, and did have evidence that the Tsar did not get wiped out, but a deal was struck. Uh, what happened was the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers arranged the safe passage of the Tsar and his family out of Russia through a secret deal that was attached to the German-Russian peace treaty by which Russia withdrew from the First World War. So the trade-off was Russia gets out of World War One, and we'll get the Tsar over to the United States. Oh, well, actually, he didn't go to the United States. The children wound up there. It's believed that the Tsar and his wife, uh, I think, went to Poland. One of the sons stayed there. It may have been Alexei, and actually got involved with the Menshevik-Bolshevik conflict, but eventually came to the United States uh, along with, I believe, two daughters, uh, well, two of his sisters. But at any rate, regardless where they wound up, um, what was interesting was um, – the gangsters that they are, the czar's fortune also was up for grabs. I mean, you've got a wiped-out family, or even if they're not wiped out, you've got them in absentia, so nobody knows where they are. They don't exist. So what happens is the czar's fortune, uh, told to be worth $400 million in gold, was then appropriated by the Rockefeller bankers to build their empire through the fraudulent use of fractional reserves. Now, later on, it was claimed that Rockefeller was blackmailed on several occasions by the Russian government and shut them up by basically duking them with some money. So that's an interesting aside. But that's how this whole thing transpired with regard to the Illuminati finally trying to get its uh, globalist reach over all, at least at that time, of Europe. There's nothing uh, not to believe when you consider the fact that we touched on uh, before the show started that uh, times have changed. Uh, we're a little more sophisticated, perhaps, than we were then. Technology is different. So, in effect, uh, we may have done the same thing by uh, giving Mr. Gorbachev a home uh, in the United States. I mean, if, if people don't believe that uh, the czar and his family was, you know, was given safe passage, then you know, what are we doing right now? We gave the... the Everybody is safe passage, is it? We give, you know, so who's doing that, and why would they do that? Because they're part of the deal, part of the plan. You know, Dr. Swain, you raise a great point, because it's true. Think back to all the bad guys that we've experienced through our, our life, which yeah. covers the last half of the, of the 20th century. Right. I mean, consider, uh, you know, what happened to Edie Amin. Yeah. I mean, he's in a hotel somewhere, I don't know, you know, in Bangladesh, I have no idea, but, but nobody got him. Um, Bin Laden. Yeah. You know, where's... You know, and, you know, and I don't want to get started on Bin Laden, but, but now I'm going to get started. The bottom line is that uh, this guy is no enemy of the United States, uh, never has been. 
She's been an asset of the CIA. And you guys out there don't want to believe it. Like you go to any news service and go to anything. He's a CIA asset, and the Bushes was in the old man, probably the son of business partners in the Bin Laden construction company who built most of the U.S. military bases that are in the Middle East. Yeah, uh, guys know, you know, Daddy Bush guy, is in the Carlisle group and, and basically does front work for the Bin Ladens who are involved in the Carlisle group, which does not include uh, Osama, but the rest of them. And it's an interesting, uh, in a city very nearby us, that on the day when all uh, air travel was supposed to be suspended, that somehow Bin Laden family in Tampa, Florida, got out in the Learjet. jet. Yeah, this is amazing. They probably... Uh and also in Los Angeles. Probably just didn't get the word about the flights. And it's amazing that uh, our own uh, Trotsky Tribune actually had that as a uh, a mainstream story. For those uh, listening on the web that are outside the area, we were referring to the Tampa Tribune as the Trotsky. Actually, there are two Trotsky papers, but one's a little more overt than the other one. Uh, it's not necessarily when you consider its name as St. Petersburg. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> is 
the demonization of capitalism. No, we're not against capitalism whatsoever. Free, healthy capitalism is a great idea. But as I, I had a friend uh, with whom I went to college who said to me in the 70s, he said, capitalism used to be about competition. Now it's about getting rid of it. And I, I you know, I tell you, from, from his mouth, I could not believe those words frank. It really was. And, I mean, it, it meant something then, but it means so much more now because, one, inside the United States, we're seeing monopolization, and nobody's saying anything about it. I mean, Standard Oil's back together again. Look at the situation with regard to communications. I mean, uh, you made the point, being a, a radio aficionado, as you are, about just how many companies own so many stations. Yeah, the reality is if you look at corporate-owned radio in the United States, and I, and I don't know how that relates. I'm sure the numbers are similar with television. Um, corporate-owned radio, if you took every entity that is incorporated in the broadcast business, aside from mom-and-pop broadcasting, which is almost a thing of the past, you actually can filter down the two companies, and that's CBS Infinity and Clear Channel. And that's it. And all the other ones you hear of, well, we're so-and-so. They're a subsidiary of that corporation. And along with that consolidation, and, of course, this is owned by the elitists. You look at, you look at Ted Turner and all that he owns and Rupert Murdoch, and these guys are gazillionaires. Murdoch, a guy who is uh, the Fox guy, who for years had his uh, bust of Joe Stalin on his desk. Now, what's with that Fox Network uh, people, you know? And my mother and father-in-law, they worship the ground that the Fox Network you know, walks on. And all these, all these guys have done is created a, you know, another outlet to capture the disenfranchised viewers from CNN and MSNBC. And um, we've got to create a network for the hardcore conservatives uh, because we're losing money. And uh, so we feed them the stuff that we want them to hear. Murdoch has got such a great step going for himself because – they go out a little bit on the limb to expose certain things that we're talking about here, and they use O'Reilly as the tool for that. But they only go to a certain extent, and that's it, but enough so that at least they get some viewers to come to them who are thinking we're really getting the real deal. And O'Reilly, I have to tell you, I don't know what the big deal is about him. Um, I don't watch him that much anymore. I watched him come up on a New York network. It was on Channel 5, uh, known as um, – WNEW, and I mean that was like that's an independent station. It was just like what you watched when nothing was working on NBC, CBS, or ABC. And all of a sudden, this guy is you know an oracle on the mount. Yeah, I don't get it. But anyway, a lot of Vivian Brown. Vivian Brown. Yes. Yes. Vivian Brown, who uh, had a hard time (laughs) on the Weather Channel. She tries hard. I'm glad you injected that, uh, that, that bit of levity into this. But, but, you know, the bottom line is that capitalism, as we were saying, is leading towards communism by, well, look, look what's happened now. Yes. How many more big corporations have to tumble because of these revelations of not only bad bookkeeping, but being absolutely gouged by their CEOs? So now we all sit here and go, well, how many people have lost their retirements? How many people have lost their jobs? Uh, why is this happening? This is a product of capitalism. It's malignant. And the next thing you know, as I've said many times, is that um, all they're doing is proving Karl Marx right. And we're going to 
going to have to have, uh, you know, obviously uh, you people can't manage your own uh, resources. You can't trust big business to manage your resources for you. And uh, you're going to need more and more and more government intervention to look out and protect you. And uh, we're here to help. We're from the government, as my friend says down in Luke's, and we're here to help. Uh, you know, we thought that the Russians were suckers because everything was state-run. So here we are watching the federal government federalize more and more every aspect of our life, but we think, we're thinking we're free, and we're laughing at the Russians because they got state this, state that. And what do we have? You know, as William Z. Fawcett, the head of the Communist Party, wrote back in 1932, he projected that the United States moving toward a Soviet America, and that was the name of the book, Toward Soviet America, would have a national Department of Education, a National Department of Health, and what in the world do we have? All right, we call it the Federal Department of Education and the Federal Department of Health. Which is okay because the reality is in Soviet government under the old days, we have a federal republic, and isn't it an irony, I guess, where were we at? I mean, you know, we're proud of our federal republic, and the problem is that in the Russian government years ago, they would refer to their bank as the central bank, and we have the Federal Reserve Bank, and now we're and now I'm hearing people on the news refer to the Federal Reserve as the central bank. That's right. Nobody, nobody, you know, nobody says anything. You know, hey, why, why, why is this the central bank? Why are we calling it that now? You know, the Russians call it the central bank. What are we, you know, like I said, we've never had any argument with the Russians. <laughs> well, maybe you haven't, but well, I'm not completely trusting of them. No, well, I don't trust them either. But the reality is that uh, the same. We're both cut from the same piece of cloth, I think, and the same people manage, and the same people control, and there's no mistake that uh, we're using Russian air bases to launch strikes in Afghanistan. Twenty years ago, you would have never convinced this Vietnam veteran that we'd be launching strikes on Russian air bases. Twenty years ago, you would have never convinced me that uh, we would jointly manage some oil exploration uh, and cut a pipeline through and share the profits. And people say, well, you know, you can't trust the Russians, you can't do this. As long as there are Russians flying inside a spacecraft above the planet with the U.S., you can take it to the bank, no pun intended, that uh, there's, there's better things to come, you know. And regarding aerospace, um, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but uh, I guess the Russians are are the main um, drum beaters for a multinational, a global, if you will, uh, space venture to Mars. Okay. So we, we've got something else that we can divert our attention to while everything else goes to hell in a handbasket here on Earth. We can now look as we did back in uh, 1969. Well, I don't have a problem. Well, with Mars? Yeah, you know. But I think that um, you know, getting back to manage the media and manage control, the things that look innocent like Star Trek, you know, shows that these are all global. You know, globalism. Well, Roddenberry was definitely an Illuminati yeah. aficionado. I use that word twice. You, know, you put that stuff. <laughs> harmless little story, yeah, but you see it enough times, you know, if you tell somebody they're dumb enough long enough, they'll start believing it. Like, Rod
Roddenberry was definitely a New World Order type. And what's interesting is that first show, which was the trial of, well, it was Pike. I forget what his rank was. I remember it was Pike that could not speak. He had to use the, the light switches in front of him. Well, the father of Freemasonry in the United States was a former Confederate general by the name of Albert Pike. Okay. Not yeah. a coincidence. Yeah. With the Federation, it's going to take care of everything so that nobody fights anymore. Meanwhile, they kick butt all over the universe. Captain Kirk, for all the peacekeeping he did, you know, roached a lot of people with his laser, tasers. <laughs> At least, oh, yeah, well, anyway, okay. Yeah, wife, yeah. <laughs> you can wax on his own. But going back to the whole situation of what's going on in America with the monopolization of all industry. And the problem, especially with regard to communication, is you're not going to hear the real deal on mainstream news, be it radio, although radio is better, TV, or newspapers. They are bought out. Uh, in other shows, we will discuss exactly how that was systematically done after World War II. They are, I mean, look, look, let's take NBC. They're owned by GE. GE was a heavy-duty contributor to um, Alfred Newman's campaign, George II. Yeah. And are they going to do anything that's going to be critical to the president? I mean, I have to admit. They're going to do a little bit up front so they don't. Uh, good point, Dr. Swain, because last night yeah. they saw George uh, when he was getting together with the rest of the globalists, wherever that was, I guess, in, where was that? Canada, Sweden, Switzerland, I don't know where it was. They, they had some foam on their drinks. And they were wondering if he fell off the wagon, if in fact he ever.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.